You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Together in Literacy podcast. We are in season two, episode nine. And we have a great topic today for dyslexia awareness. Really, really excited about it. Hi, Casey. Hi, Emily. Hi, everyone. Yeah. So uh, at the time of recording this, we are in the very beginning of 2023. So happy new year to all (laughs) of you. Uh, We have some great feedback. So we heard from natbo87 and she said or he said i just love listening to you ladies i am the dyslexia teacher at my school and i just finished getting a master's in reading language to become a reading specialist i have learned so much just from listening to your podcast thank you for being there for reading and language nerds like me and that is just so great we love love hearing hearing from all of you so thank you so much and we have sort of a special announcement to make that's to piggyback on that amazing feedback and that is at this time so here we are in season two of recording our podcast for all of you which we really enjoy uh we are hitting a special number in the Together in Literacy podcast, and that is uh, 100,000 downloads. Yay. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> amazing. is amazing. So we thought, hey, you know what? Let's celebrate. Let's have a little giveaway. Mm-hmm. So we are going to reveal all of the details of a fun giveaway in honor of 100,000, wow, downloads at the very end of this episode. So you're just going to have to listen and sit tight to hear those details, right? (laughs) That's amazing. 100,000 downloads. Wow. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Yes. Yeah. All right. Casey's going to kick it off for us. That's right. So today uh, we are going to really kind of continue our conversation about the power in saying dyslexia and what that means for helping move our students towards self-advocacy. So you may have noticed that Emily and I are constantly speaking about saying the word dyslexia with our students, our families, and the greater community. And we've spoken about the familiar connection to dyslexia in previous episodes, where researchers like Nadine Gab and others are really beginning to see how dyslexia is genetically passed through families. And according to Gab, you know, dyslexia is strongly heritable occurring in up to 50% of individuals who have a first degree relative with dyslexia. So 
while it may not always seem directly evident as to the link with the family when talking with clients that I have at the center, it often comes up that someone in the family considered themselves as a terrible speller or struggled in school. And yet many are successful CEOs, entrepreneurs, business owners, doctors, teachers, and more. And so as educators, we really want to take into consideration the family history of dyslexia when we're screening and testing students, but also when we're talking to families about dyslexia and their child. And why is this? Well, because there's a strong emotional connection to dyslexia and schooling. And the reality is that many of our parents who have struggled in school or who have observed their siblings or family members struggle with reading and writing, the response when we talk about dyslexia can be a really personal and emotional one. And so today we want to take some time to kind of talk about what that means for us as um, for those of us that are working in schools and with students and families, but also what that may mean if we're parents of children with dyslexia. So that is what this episode will be digging into today. You know, how can we say dyslexia and shift the narrative to one of understanding and all that comes with it? Absolutely. You know, Casey, that's one of the fir very first questions I ask when I meet with a new family. I don't know about you, but it's one of yeah. the first ones I checked to see. So did anybody else in the family struggle with reading in the past? Parents, aunts, uncles, other siblings, things like that. Mm -hmm. It's a revealing question. So, and it's an important one. Um, really? That is something to really be so, so careful with taking that family history of dyslexia into consideration. So we are going to talk a little bit about once again, why we say dyslexia, some of the benefits of knowing how we learn, finding out not only our strengths, but our challenges. That's good for all kids. That's yeah. good for everybody, not just people with dyslexia. And looking at an eval from a different lens, not just using it for a piece of paper or a document that reveals all of the weaknesses by looking more keenly at it to find the areas of strength and finding activities that would support those areas of strength as you look at the whole child. Yeah. Um, it's never just, and we've said this before, it's never just about the dyslexia. There are lots of other things going on. Absolutely. So we're going to kick off with talking about the importance of an open discussion with dyslexia. Mm -hmm. And let's think of it this way. If you had a child with uh, a problem with hearing and they needed help with the use of hearing aids, then we as parents or caregivers would absolutely, we'd have to have a discussion with this child about that. Because for a lot of reasons, for their safety, right? For learning in school, to just help them be successful with just everyday life. Yeah. There's no question that we would have an open discussion in that scenario. So why is it that we get into this situation where their parents, caregivers, that almost kind of want to hide the dyslexia diagnosis? 
-hmm. from their own child. Why do some parents do that? Because they do. Mm -hmm. Casey and I have both had these discussions about families that we've worked with where it's not an open discussion. Yeah. Why? Well, as Casey mentioned at the very beginning, there's a very strong emotional response with Mm -hmm. this topic. Yeah. It's deeply tied not only to academic, but also social emotional uh, with many people's outcomes there. It could be a source of embarrassment Mm -hmm. if there was a history of reading difficulty that led to, you know, possible struggles down the road. So for some families, it may just feel embarrassing to have that discussion. Right. Or even Uh, acknowledgement, right? Um, Yeah. Sometimes I think, you know, as parents, right, we all want the very best for our children. We want to shelter them as much as we can from any pain. And so if that is possible trauma that you have as an adult in regards to your academics or the journey that you had with your own struggles with dyslexia, that can be really triggering and it can make it be something that you don't want to have conversations with or to even acknowledge with your child or about your child. Right. You know, some family, some parents, if we look back on our own schooling and the things that may have triggered sources of shame or fear, for me personally, I think it was my math instruction. I think I could have been a much stronger math student had I had different methods of teaching, but that definitely triggers the way I approach the subject of math. It triggered me in the way I, as a classroom teacher, approached the subject of math and how I wanted to sort of be the complete opposite of how I was taught. So we, we all have sort of our own school history and background, right? Some positive, some negative, and some of it is rooted in shame and fear. Yeah. We may have been fearful or we may be fearful of even approaching the subject with our own child for fear of how they're going to react. Mm -hmm. That can be a, that can be a source of fear. Is my child going to be angry? Are they going to be, you know, or are they going to feel like they're not good enough or just like they're not going to be able to do the, you may think, oh, are they going to be able to do the same things that I was able to do? Conversation I had with one of my child, with one of my boys, barbers at their barbershop approached me when uh, his son was diagnosed with dyslexia and said, are they going to be able to do the same things that I was able to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I kind of think where, the, where we go in our, in our heads. It is. And I think also maybe frustration mm. for, for some parents who maybe it's not necessarily wanting to hide the dyslexia diagnosis, but perhaps not knowing next steps or feeling frustration and feeling that there's a lot of roadblocks in the way. And then you know, how do we have these conversations, but then we're setting our child up to constantly hit barriers. And and so that can be frustrating. Yeah. I guess the fear of the unknown, like not knowing down the road, what, what the outcomes are going to be. Yeah. Really feel overwhelming, but let's shift this a little bit. What happens when we do open up and have these conversations with children about dyslexia? 
we can frame this in a really positive way and in different ways, depending on your child's age. One of the things that I have found when kids do know, they have more questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's great because that means they're thinking about it and they're curious. Kids are naturally curious anyway. They're curious. They want to learn more. So what we want to do is sort of harness that curiosity about it and um, find ways to help them answer those questions. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like, you know, this big, huge word looming. Right. Um, and I think maybe jotting down those questions. Right. Having those questions. And I think that's one of the reasons why, at least at the center, I really try to bring awareness into the community and to the families as well. Because if we can have the families start to have conversations and an understanding of dyslexia, it really does open those conversations to use the word dyslexia with your own children, with your students. And it starts to open up these pathways to have conversations and questions and starts to shift from this negative connotation of dyslexia to an understanding. When we understand something, we can look at all components of it, not just the weaknesses, but also the strengths that may accompany it. Another thing when you start talking to your child about dyslexia is they may or they may not want to have discussions with their peers about it. I've had students or even friends of my own children that have had conversations with them about their dyslexia. And so even in conversations with my own children, because they all they all know what I do, Casey, your kids know what you do. Yes. We all have this talk of, about how, you know, everybody has their own little personal journey and what they feel comfortable with talking about. Mm-hmm. And so if your friend feels comfortable talking about how they have dyslexia, great. You know, they, they feel like they can open up to you and maybe you want to ask them a question and things like that. And, but that they feel like they can have an open conversation. That's great. Some may not want to. So I think it really depends sometimes on how early kids find out or how long, maybe if you've had a later diagnosis, but there's also a really big sense of relief. Yeah. Casey, have you seen that? I have seen that, especially with some of my older students who have experienced struggle and maybe not understood why they were having a hard time accessing curriculum or academics pieces. And, you know, the teachers were telling them how smart they were and that they would get it and they weren't able to do that. And so it created the self of the sense of self-doubt in the child. And so when they understood why they had some of those challenges, it made it, it was a big sigh of relief and they were able to kind of hang their hat on the word dyslexia and not have it be their whole identity. It was just a part of them. And I think that is so important when you just said that it wasn't their whole identity. Like with the episode with Hope that we, when we interviewed her back Mm -hmm. in that season one, Hope had so many, and this is a great segue into what we're discussing next. Now it was not what defined her. Sure, it was a part of her, but hope as a human being was so much more than just that one thing. She's right? a beautiful person. Yes. I, yeah. I, I love that she shared her journey with us. So if you haven't checked that out, go back to season one, check it out. It's, it's a great, great listen. And it's one of the top episodes 
Casey, remember we were looking at yes, the top episodes of, of 2022. So I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. And so, so kind of yeah. bridging then into strengths, right? And strength-based education. So I think as educators and even as parents, we often hyper-focus on the academic components that are surrounding reading and writing for our dyslexic learners. And this makes sense, right? Dyslexia shows itself in the education setting, but we also know that there's so much more that dyslexia impacts. And so it really may be unknown to people how that may impact the social emotional components of our students, especially if we're focusing primarily on deficit areas. So one of the things that Emily and I talk about over and over again is, is bringing in strength-based and understanding that, you know what, we are all good at different things and no one thing defines us, right? And that while right. we may hear about the deficits of dyslexia, it's also essential for us to understand and to highlight areas of strength. And so a teacher who understands the bigger picture of dyslexia can impact our learners in significant ways, right? Both academically and emotionally. And so using a student's strength to help with new learning can really have this amazing impact, this ripple effect for our students. And so we can really help our students see themselves in this light and it does change everything. And so I was reading as, as Emily and I always do, and there's a quote by uh, Blake Charlton, who is a dyslexic author and a physician. And this quotes from 2013, but he says, I believe that scientific evidence and social observation will continue to show that defining dyslexia based solely on its weaknesses is inaccurate and unjust and places too grim a burden on young people receiving the diagnosis. A more precise definition of dyslexia would clearly identify the disabilities that go along with it while recognizing the associated abilities as well. If the dyslexic community could popularize such a definition, then newly diagnosed dyslexics would realize that they, like everyone else, will face their futures with a range of strengths and weaknesses. And I think that is a beautiful quote because it is prompting all of us to look more deeply at the uh, current definition that we use yeah. of dyslexia. And perhaps there does need to be this revisionary movement so that it encompasses more of yeah. what dyslexia is, not just what we see from the academic side, so that we can embrace the fact that there are some strengths associated with it. Mm -hmm. All right. So when we are thinking about empowering our students, not just in the classroom, but also outside, you know, in the home environment or wherever they may be. When we think about that, we're sort of helping them to highlight and find those strengths. And when we do that, there are just so many benefits that we could list. First of all, it's going to undoubtedly build their self-esteem and confidence. And with someone who struggles academically, there must be a greater urgency and emphasis on helping them find those areas of strength even more because of the impact that ne negative self-talk has when they are perceiving school or doing school mm -hmm. academics as a real, real challenge. 
And that can mean we help are helping them uncover hidden potential. And those things, if we try to imagine long-term, can become lifelong passions and careers. And we've seen that as we have studied and looked at famous people with dyslexia Mm -hmm. over the years and seeing their success stories. We want to be encouragers and support and offer even more praise. I think one of the biggest things is to celebrate even the smallest wins. Yeah. Even those tiny victories, like I call them, are the ones that deserve recognition and praise. Just as much as the big ones that may involve a trophy or some big award or a plaque or something. And I think those are actually kind of the most important because how do we get to the big trophies, right? How do we get there? Through these small wins. And a lot of times our students don't recognize those small wins. So we need to point it out to them and to let them know that when when you did this, this happened. Did you see that? That was amazing. And and it's really something for them to, it really starts to build their self-awareness and coming back to that metacognition, which we've talked about in um, season one, episode three, this awareness of what is working and and how what's happening in their brain and what's, what do they, what did they do? And what was the impact? Those are all part of those small wins. And for us to just continue to highlight that and bring that awareness back to the child is really powerful. Some, a couple of tiny wins I want to highlight, Casey, that we, you and I always, always do. And you're, you're observing a child who self-corrects themselves within a portion of the lesson. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. That is something that you do want to say, you know what? I noticed you picked up on when you wrote that down, that you needed to go back and check that. And that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Something as simple as that. That is really calling awareness. Mm-hmm. to them. And they recognize that as well. That's what we're talking about. Little things like that. Another yeah. big one that I think is like super impactful is my students keep a binder of all their work mm-hmm. so that they can look back. And what any time we get into a funk, I might say, you know, and they're feeling kind of down, like this is hard, you know, they're just having an off day. What I might just do is take a few minutes and just say, you know what? Let's go back to what you were doing like six months ago, a year ago, or even, and just say, and oh my gosh, they just light up. They're like, wow, that's what I was doing then. Every time I have (laughs) done that with a child, it's like magic. I am not exaggerating. Yeah. So I do this. You got to have those small wins. You do. And I love that because for me, that kind of encompasses what has always been said, right? Small steps forward. And the whole idea that we go as fast as we can and as slowly as we need to, sometimes it feels like these small incremental wins for our students. And so they might not realize just how far they've come. So I do the same thing with the binder and we go back and, and look and it's amazing to see how far they've come. Sometimes I'll do like little check-ins like, do you feel like this is working? Does it feel the same or do things feel better? Right. And then sometimes we'll go back and find our little, like, just as a little reminder, like, this is what you were doing, you know, six months ago. And look at you now, you're, (laughs) you are rocking it. You're making progress, you know? So like, don't give up. You've got to have those moments with those students. Got to have them. All right. So 
how do we spot some strengths with our kids? And this is for, for parents and for educators, caregivers, um, whoever that may be. Here are some questions you can ask yourself. All right, so you may wanna jot this down even, like if you keep a journal or whatever. What could your child do for hours and hours? This can be something that will reveal where their persistence and their tenacity may be, where their thinking skills are really, really cooking. Are they great at Lego building? You know, can they take one of those Lego manuals and go through a Lego build, you know, rapidly? Do they have a specific art talent? Just something that I think holds their interest, I think, in a lengthier period of time. You know, do they get out there, practice their pitching, like, you know, again and again and again, no matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter the weather, <laughs> things like that. So we want to be observant mm -hmm. and listen and see, are there topics that they really love talking about? And kids with dyslexia, I think all kind of have their little genius side. And that's kind of one of the things I love about working with these kids. They yeah. do have a topic of interest or one or two or more that they will want to grab onto and have discussions about. One of my students loved talking about his drone and just all the technology with it and, and things that they picked up on from the drone and things like that. Just like anything that kind of gets him outdoors and observing, I think the yeah. land around him, very passionate about. So we want to maybe think about that. One thing we can do even as classroom teachers is making sure that we're giving little surveys, mm -hmm. finding out their likes and dislikes and favorites and their passions. So something about like having your, let's find your passion conversation. And I think what's most important to remember is that not all the strengths are visible. Like, you know, the artistic ability or the um, the, mu the musician or the, the athlete. We've said this before, dyslexic children may also be like our fireflies. They have lots of hidden potential. They may glow from within. And so it's up to us to try and really, like I said, be keen observers and listeners to help them reach their their hidden potential. Yeah. I think that's a really important one. And I know Emily has spoken to this a, a lot about, you know, the firefly analogy. And I, I'm always thinking for my students in the future, right? And what businesses, what the business world refers to as soft skills is such as like being coachable, showing empathy, having great communication skills, critical thinking, creativity, and, and like a problem solving attitude. Those are all things that shine in the workforce, right? And those are all things that businesses are, are seeking. And yet they might not always be highlighted or recognized within our school settings. So, you know, many of our dyslexic students have these quote unquote, soft skills, or they're developing these. And I think we can be really mindful of how we're bringing that awareness into our lessons and how we're providing opportunities for them to showcase those strengths. And also to have those kind of, kind of conversations with our students about what we recognize in them as those strengths is really powerful for our children and also for other educators that are working with them and for the parents to see, because sometimes, you know, They'll get that report card. And that that's like the thing, even my own children, you know, they come home and they get stuck on just one grade and you're so much more than that. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I know like when my kids bring their report cards home, it's like, they, they want to know, well, what are the things 
you know, what are my good grades? Mm -hmm. They want to know, well, what did my teacher say about me? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So um, that, that is such an important point, Casey. So we want to really, I think, just be so mindful of that. As we segue into talking a little bit more about self-advocacy, Casey and I were having this discussion about how important it is to help us adults have a problem with this, I think a little bit too, but to develop a sense of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Are we self-aware? Are our children self-aware of their own actions, of their own feelings? I don't think we have a lot of discussions about truly about our feelings. You ask someone, how are you doing? What's always the reply? Fine. I'm well. Good. I'm doing okay. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Like, is that really a true feeling? No. So we don't really, I think, have conversations, I think, too much about our our own, about being self-aware. Yeah. And we have to do that if we want to be advocates of ourselves and what we need. So once we know a child, you know, once a child knows they have a certain diagnosis, then we want to help them develop um, a game plan. And in this portion of the episode, we're sort of treating self-advocacy like developing a game plan or a road map. Mm-hmm. So we're going to sort of highlight a couple of tips that you may want to consider that you can use with a child. This is to be used with a student or with your child. It's not yeah. something you're going to do for them. It's to do with them help, and then help them or sort of guide them, tell them, and then see what they can come up with. This will also be dependent on perhaps how old a child may be. So we want to try and treat it like a game plan or a roadmap to success. And we'll we'll want to also keep in mind is the toolbox analogy. And Casey, remind them what was what's the deal with the toolbox analogy? Yeah. So in episode 15 of season one, that's the analogy I use with my students all the time about toolbox. And I have a whole story in there, but uh, episode 15 goes all into accommodations and talking about the toolbox. Part of the game plan is knowing what tools you need in your toolbox. Yeah. Right. You definitely want to go back and listen to that episode. You could also look at the blog post that goes with it. But developing a self-advocacy plan doesn't have to sound like this big elaborate thing. It can just be something as simple as a bulleted checklist, listing the ways that your child or how they learn best, what is challenging to them, and what they appreciate getting help with. So Mm -hmm. sort of three main sections, and each section can have a couple of bulleted points on there. Uh, So once again, it was listing the ways they learn best, what is challenging to them, and what they appreciate getting help with. Or like, for instance, they may want to list on there, I need more time to, that could be one of them. Yeah. And I I think it's really important to note that this is not something that's like a one and done. This is an ongoing conversation and reflection that you want to guide your students and your child in because self-advocacy does not happen overnight. It is something that is developed over time. And our goal is yes, in the elementary grades and the early 
upper grades, we may be providing more support as a parent or an educator, but the goal and really the expectations once they get to school, the schools are expecting them to really start to take over those self-advocacy skills in middle school and high school. At least that's what I see with my students. So we need to build that into our sessions and into our conversations with our children and with our students, because the expectation is that those self-advocacy skills become exactly that. It is something that they need to monitor and to develop and to take with them throughout their life. So this needs to be almost like a habit that's built in, a reflection habit, looking at what's working, what's not working, why is it working? Am I going to continue that? Why is that not working? How can I make an adjustment and make a new plan and move forward? Always coming back. So we talked a lot about that in our metacognition episodes. And I know we keep kind of coming back to that. It's one of our, I think it's one of our favorite words, (laughs) but it's such an important important when we're talking about bridging the academics with the social emotional component, it has to be there. So as Emily said, right, creating a checklist, having conversations with your child um, or your students about what's working, what's not working, and look at it really as a game plan or a roadmap, right? We can make adjustments along the way. The one word that really stuck out at me when you were just speaking, Casey, is monitor. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that students really have to do like, learn how to do like these little check-ins. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, so let's look back at this checklist. Yeah. So how's this working? It may be something that, you know what, I really don't feel like I need that much help with that anymore. So it's, all, it's, it's a, um, it's a living, breathing checklist that, and for younger kids, it might look like just little pictures that they cut out or that they draw themselves mm-hmm. or in then of course for older students, something perhaps that they type up. And so it's just, they're just going back to it, maybe just doing a little check-in with you on how it's going. So how's this going? Do, do we need to change anything on there? Do you need to add anything? I think it's important to remember, like, this isn't something that's just tucked away. It should be revisited. It should be monitored. So right. great point, Casey. And and I actually begin each of my sessions with a quick touch-in. Check-in. Yeah, with a quick check-in where we talk either, you know, specific to each individual child, but a lot of times we'll talk about accommodations, particularly with my older students, you know, Hey, what was working? You know, what did you have going on in school this week? What accommodations did you use? Why did you use those? Why did you choose not to use those? How did they help you? How did they not? Because I want my students to be aware of their accommodations. If we're looking at accommodations as an, as a way to access curriculum, that is a tool for them, right? Coming back to the toolbox that they need to know how to use. And if they don't, they certainly can't advocate for its use. And to kind of piggyback on that, you know, we have to also provide opportunities for not only practicing with the accommodations, but also how to advocate for that. And this becomes something that really needs to be practiced, particularly with our um, older students talking about how do you ask a teacher for an accommodation? How do you... How do you, you know, what's the tone you use? What is the, what's the wording, right? I will do role play where I will have my students practice asking for an accommodation a certain way. Yes, they, it should be on their list and they should have it there. But the reality is oftentimes they have to ask for their accommodation in class. So 
We want to set them up for success. And older students sometimes like they might be feel afraid to mm-hmm. go up and ask. And so the role playing is really, really important. It's like a little bit of a risk, right? Sometimes a big one to go up and say, like, I really need more time for this particular assignment or, or like in the test, mm-hmm. I need X amount of time to be able to complete that. But learning how to speak up, gosh, I mean, it's a lifelong skill like that we all need help with, but especially our kids. Of course, if they're aware of what their accommodations are, they really, really need to know. So such a good point, Casey. And I also um, think, you know, not just oral communication, but also emails. We practice yes. writing emails, again, asking either for extended time or an accommodation that needs to be in place or clarification on an assignment, things like that. Because again, my goal is to, we're doing that gradual release of responsibility. I am not, my goal isn't to be with you. I love you dearly, but my goal is not to be holding your hand when, you know, throughout your life. So I want you to, to be able to feel really confident in advocating for yourself. I think that is such an important piece for our children and to know that that is where we're heading. That's our goal for our students. So that awareness and, and building those self-advocacy skills is so necessary. From that checklist, you may want to take an opportunity. If your child really loves illustrating, perhaps they can turn their self-advocacy plan into a little picture book or a comic, adding some fun graphics with it, using the computer. Some kids might want to take that plan and create just a short video and just record. This is how I learned best. This is how I could use some help and, you know, make it as humorous as you want. If, if you have a kid that really has a playful side, you know, holding up some visuals or something like that. So some kids may grab onto that idea. Some might not. It really, really right. will depend. But I've had just, my you know, older students make some like a slide, like an all about yeah. me slide where they highlight their areas that they need, the accommodations that they might want, but then also highlight those areas of strength that they feel that they're bringing into the classroom or, you know, that are a part that they want to showcase for their teachers so that they're, you know, sometimes you're handed like a 504 and IEP and this, by giving the kids an opportunity to speak for themselves, to advocate for themselves, it really brings in a lot of their personality and it lets the child be seen in a different not in a different light, but maybe through a little bit of a different lens in terms of knowing that person and knowing that child. So I think that's a great way to do it. And once again, all of these things that we're doing, we're helping to empower children, build Mm -hmm. their confidence up, right. And helping them to highlight their own strengths. I even Um, had one of my kids that did their, it was like their science or social studies project on dyslexia. (laughs) It was really cool. I can't remember now the exact, gosh, this was like, almost 20 years ago, but it was such an amazing way to just, I could tell that that child felt so empowered that 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 was what they chose as their project to showcase for the whole school and to stand there and talk about it. It was amazing. Yeah. I had a student when he was in the fifth grade, did the same thing, Casey. He created a whole PowerPoint presentation on his dyslexia and he presented it to the entire after-school program. And that was like a major big win for explaining because this is, you know, very, very shy child just to be able to come out and do that. Oh, huge. Really, really, really (laughs) powering. So 
Uh, yeah, it almost kind of like brings tears to my eyes when we mm-hmm. start to think about all these great things that our kids have done. We want to make sure in the self-advocacy plan that we have open discussion that involves what to do if that's, if this happens, then this. So we have an right. if-then type situation that involves them having the um, self-talk but also some tangible strategies. And we're not just talking about the academic setting. Like when I get stuck on a word or when I'm, you know, stuck on this math problem, then sure, we want to have talk about that. But we also want to present it in other life circumstances. Like maybe if they're playing a game or with a friendship, something like that. I think part of their self-advocacy plan also highlights situations where if I get into this challenging circumstance, then this is what I'm going to do. And it's not going to involve always, you know, running to an adult to ask for help, right? Um, It's it's giving them strategies and tools that they can access. But that means, once again, looking at what their strengths are, looking at how they learn best, and then developing ideas. Um, so I think part of that, you just want to include when I get into this, then I can try this type of scenario. Yeah. All right. And um, just for classroom teachers, we wanted to remind everybody that just the value of your classroom meeting, um, having these conversations with all your students about strengths is only going to be beneficial. It's only going to open up open conversation that everyone in the class is unique. Everyone has unique strengths and abilities and things that can be valued and praised and celebrated. So we just want to, you know, throw that in there, but we all know the importance of that. But the classroom meeting time is really, I think, a place where you can um, especially showcase it and that I think kids really appreciate it as well. They do. And there's so many books out there now that yeah. highlight different learning, you know, differences and, mm-hmm. and cultural differences. And so there's a lot more representation in books now today than there have mm-hmm. been in the past. So I think that that's a great avenue to take for bridging into your classroom conversations as well. Yeah, I think a conversation just about diversity in learning it's just fascinating for kids. And that way you can sort of bring in the whole discussion of the brain, which we had gone into in the metacognition. <laughs> so there we go, bringing it up again. Oh I know, love that word. But yeah, you gotta go back. Okay, you get some re-listening to do everybody. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we really hope that this discussion on uh, strengths and self-advocacy uh, really has shed some light, but we also hope that we given you some things that you may want to try at home or in your classrooms, please don't hesitate to reach out and ask if you have any questions, things like that. We can certainly um, take time to showcase them in future episodes. Absolutely. These episodes always have an an accompanying blog post. If you go to togetherinliteracy.com, you'll see those there. Aha. So now... We are going to reveal the details <laughs> of the 100,000 downloads giveaway. Emily, I'm just still blown away because I know when we <laughs> I know, started, I, I, you guys, Emily and I, we, would, we had this podcast and we're like, you know, we could sit and talk for hours, but we're like, well, we'll, we'll put it out and we'll see. And we were like, 
maybe people will listen. And so just, it warms our hearts so much to know, I mean, a hundred thousand downloads and we've heard from people all around the world. It's just so amazing. And it just really speaks to the necessity to say dyslexia and to have these conversations. And so we really are so grateful for each one of you tuning in. Yeah, we just, it just really can't wrap our heads around (laughs) that number. It's just so exciting. But yes, as Casey said, it's just, there is still such a need to spread this awareness, but also to make sure that we are committed to our mission, which is helping to support all of you with dyslexia awareness and talking about the science of reading, but also as it it pertains to the whole child, which is really at the heart of what we are all, what we're doing. And we love it. We love talking about all of this with you. We've got (laughs) lots to say. And so we just wanted to reward you for being such wonderful people and downloading and listening and following and leaving reviews. So here's the deal. You may want to write this down. I know I need to write things down. If I don't, I forget them. So if you leave us a rating and a review for the podcast between the dates of January 23rd, 2023 through February 6th, 2023, Mm -hmm. then that is considered your entry into the giveaway. So you have to do those things in order to be considered entered in. And Casey and I will look them over between those dates. Remember January 23rd through February 6, 2023. And we're going to pick two, not one, two winners. And Casey is going to reveal what the first prize will be for one of the winners. So one lucky winner who leaves a review for us is going to get a free course with me, which is the color coding method to teaching sight words and sight words means all words, right? And so this is really, uh, it's a three hour course with me focusing on connecting the science of reading to our instructional practices in the area of high frequency and words. So it is been a great course. I've had lots of feedback on it and I'm really excited to offer that to one lucky listener. It just helps us take students from speech to print in a scaffolded way. It connects phonemic awareness with phonemes, graphemes, morphology, etymology, and all the, the fun things. So, yeah. I'm just so proud of Casey you for making that course. I really am. Great job, Casey. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's so needed. Um, we'll put the link to that course. So if you are curious about the details of it, that will be in the show notes and we'll have it in the blog post as well. Then one lucky winner. So remember, we're picking two people. So one's going to get Casey's course, all access, right, Casey? All access. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. And one person is going to receive lifelong membership to Building Readers for Life Academy, which is a monthly membership. Each month we have a featured presenter based on anything to do with structured literacy, dyslexia, awareness, science of reading, all of those aspects. We are diving in every single month, all year long. So we already have the 2023 calendar planned out. This is in addition to the summer conference that I've been running for nearly five years now. Mm -hmm. So this is just give people more flexibility to learn more, to develop 
themselves as educators. So great opportunity. So someone's going to get lifetime access to that membership and it'll be the annual membership. So you can see the details of that as well. And I know this month featured presenter was on areas of reading comprehension and vocabulary. Next month, we have a special presenter talking about ADHD. So we've got a lot of great topics coming up for uh, 2023. So you might be wondering, okay, so I leave my rating, I leave my review. How do we find out the winners? So here is the deal. This is how you find out if you're a winner. You have to go to the Together in Literacy blog post on February 13th, 2023. The blog post will reveal the winner on February 13th. That's the day before Valentine's Day, by the way, um, 2023. Okay. So leave your rating, leave your review. Casey and I will review and pick two people and the names will be in that blog post. And then Casey and I will reach out to you with your um, coupon code to be able to access our um, the course in the membership. And that's that. So, that so exciting. What an amazing giveaway. <laughs> I mean, really, you do not want to miss out on this. This is like a really, really big prize. Like probably one of the biggest I've ever given away. I don't know about yeah. you, Casey, but like, it's pretty phenomenal. So uh, good luck to everyone. And thank you so, so much once again for supporting the podcast and good. And we uh, can't wait to see who the winners will be and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye everybody. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.